We continue with the May 18, 2013 opinion of the court in Twitter, Inc. v. Tamina. Picking up where we left off last episode, we begin with Part 3, Section B. The next question, however, is what precisely a defendant must aid and abet. As noted above, JASTA imposes liability on anyone who aids and abets by knowingly providing substantial assistance or who conspires with the person who committed such an act of international terrorism. The parties vigorously dispute the textual object of the term aids and abets. Plaintiffs assert that it is the person, and defendants insist that it is the act of international terrorism. So, plaintiffs contend, defendants can be liable if they aided and abetted ISIS generally. There is no need for defendants to have aided and abetted the specific Reina nightclub attack. Conversely, defendants posit that they are liable only if they directly aided and abetted the Reina nightclub attack, with a strict nexus between their assistance and that attack. Neither side is quite right. To start, we find it unnecessary to parse whether the textual object of aids and abets is the person or the act of international terrorism. That syntactic dispute makes little difference here, because aiding and abetting is inherently a rule of secondary liability for specific wrongful acts. As stated above, the rule imposes liability for a wrong on those who help another to complete its commission. Or, as Halberstam put it, the defendant must aid and abet a tortious act. Nor would a contrary rule make sense for torts. That is because tort law imposes liability only when someone commits an actual tort. Merely agreeing to commit a tort or suggesting a tortious act is not, without more, tortious. Enterprises or conspiracies alone are therefore not tortious. The focus must remain on the tort itself. The same is true here. The ATA opens the courthouse doors only if the plaintiff is injured by reason of an act of international terrorism. JASTA further restricts secondary liability by requiring that the act of international terrorism be committed, planned, or authorized by a foreign terrorist organization designated as such as of the date on which such act of international terrorism was committed, planned, or authorized. Thus, it is not enough, as plaintiffs contend, that a defendant have given substantial assistance to a transcendent enterprise separate from and floating above all the actionable wrongs that constitute it. Rather, a defendant must have aided and abetted by knowingly providing substantial assistance, another person in the commission of the actionable wrong. Here, an act of international terrorism. Plaintiffs insist that Halberstam proves the contrary, but their argument misses the gist of that case. 
To be sure, Linda Hamilton was not on the scene for the burglary of Halberstam's house and did not lend any specific support to Halberstam's murder. But Hamilton's assistance to Welch was so intentional and systematic that she assisted each and every burglary committed by Welch. Any time that Welch left the house to burglarize, he would have relied on Hamilton's assistance in laundering the stolen goods and transforming them into usable wealth. Thus, Hamilton did aid and abet Welch in burglarizing Halberstam's home, and, as noted above, killing Halberstam was a foreseeable consequence of that burglary. On the other hand, defendants overstate the nexus that Section 2333 D2 requires between the alleged assistance and the wrongful act. To start, aiding and abetting does not require the defendant to have known all the particulars of the primary actor's plan. For example, a defendant might be held liable for aiding and abetting the burning of a building if he intentionally helped others break into the building at night, and then, unknown to him, the others lit torches to guide them through the dark, and accidentally started a fire. That leads to the next problem. As Halberstam makes clear, people who aid and abet a tort can be held liable for other torts that were a foreseeable risk of the intended tort. Accordingly, a close nexus between the assistance and the tort might help establish that the defendant aided and abetted the tort, but even more remote support can still constitute aiding and abetting in the right case. Moreover, in appropriate circumstances, a secondary defendant's role in an illicit enterprise can be so systemic that the secondary defendant is aiding and abetting every wrongful act committed by that enterprise, as in Halberstam itself. At this point, aiding and abetting liability begins to blur with conspiracy liability, which typically holds co-conspirators liable for all reasonably foreseeable acts taken to further the conspiracy. Yet, as noted above, aiding and abetting lacks the requisite agreement that justifies such extensive conspiracy liability. Thus, while the facts of Halberstam are not totemic, lest courts strain to compare Linda Hamilton with international criminal syndicates, its facts are useful when determining whether a defendant has so consciously participated in a series of tortious acts in order to make each one succeed. To summarize the requirements of Section 2333-D2, the phrase aids and abets by knowingly providing substantial assistance points to the elements and factors articulated by Halberstam. But those elements and factors should not be taken as inflexible codes. Rather, they should be understood in light of the common law and applied as a framework designed to hold defendants liable when they consciously and culpably participated in a tortious act in such a way as to help make it succeed. And the text requires that defendants have aided and abetted the act of international terrorism that injured the plaintiffs, though that requirement does not always demand a strict nexus between the alleged assistance and the terrorist act.
Part 4 Under the appropriate framework, some aspects of today's case become immediately clear. First, because they are trying to hold defendants liable for the Reina attack, plaintiffs must plausibly allege that defendants aided and abetted ISIS in carrying out that attack. Next, plaintiffs have satisfied Halberstam's first two elements by alleging both that ISIS committed a wrong and that defendants knew they were playing some sort of role in ISIS's enterprise. The key question, therefore, is whether defendants gave such knowing and substantial assistance to ISIS that they culpably participated in the Reina attack. The allegations here fall short of that showing under Halberstam's framework, as properly understood by reference to the common law principles it applied. Section A. To start, recall the basic ways that defendants as a group allegedly helped ISIS. First, ISIS was active on defendants' social media platforms, which are generally available to the internet-using public, with little to no front-end screening by defendants. In other words, ISIS was able to upload content to the platforms and connect with third parties, just like everyone else. Second, defendants' recommendation algorithms matched ISIS-related content to users most likely to be interested in that content. Again, just like any other content. And third, defendants allegedly knew that ISIS was uploading this content to such effect, but took insufficient steps to ensure that ISIS supporters and ISIS-related content were removed from their platforms. Notably, plaintiffs never allege that ISIS used defendants' platforms to plan or coordinate the Reina attack. In fact, they do not allege that Masharapov himself ever used Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. None of those allegations suggest that defendants culpably associated themselves with the Reina attack, participated in it as something that they wished to bring about, or sought by their action to make it succeed. In part, that is because the only affirmative conduct defendants allegedly undertook was creating their platforms and setting up their algorithms to display content relevant to user inputs and user history. Plaintiffs never allege that after defendants established their platforms, they gave ISIS any special treatment or words of encouragement. Nor is there reason to think that defendants selected or took any action at all with respect to ISIS's content, except, perhaps, blocking some of it. Indeed, there is not even reason to think that defendants carefully screened any content before allowing users to upload it onto their platforms. If anything, the opposite is true. By plaintiffs' own allegations, these platforms appear to transmit most content without inspecting it. The mere creation of those platforms, however, is not culpable. To be sure, it might be that bad actors like ISIS are able to use platforms like defendants for illegal and sometimes terrible ends. But the same could be said of cell phones, email, or the internet generally. 
Yet we generally do not think that internet or cell service providers incur culpability merely for providing their services to the public writ large. Nor do we think that such providers would normally be described as aiding and abetting. For example, illegal drug deals brokered over cell phones, even if the provider's conference call or video call features made the sale easier. To be sure, plaintiffs assert that defendants' recommendation algorithms go beyond passive aid and constitute active, substantial assistance. We disagree. By plaintiffs' own telling, their claim is based on defendants' provision of the infrastructure which provides material support to ISIS. Viewed properly, defendants' recommendation algorithms are merely part of that infrastructure. All the content on their platforms is filtered through these algorithms, which allegedly sort the content by information and inputs provided by users and found in the content itself. As presented here, the algorithms appear agnostic as to the nature of the content, matching any content with any user who is more likely to view that content. The fact that these algorithms matched some ISIS content with some users thus does not convert defendants' passive assistance into active abetting. Once the platform and sorting tool algorithms were up and running, defendants at most allegedly stood back and watched. They are not alleged to have taken any further action with respect to ISIS. At bottom, then, the claim here rests less on affirmative misconduct and more on an alleged failure to stop ISIS from using these platforms. But as noted above, both tort and criminal law have long been leery of imposing aiding and abetting liability for mere passive nonfeasance. To show that defendants' failure to stop ISIS from using these platforms is somehow culpable with respect to the Reyna attack, a strong showing of assistance and scienter would thus be required. Plaintiffs have not made that showing. First, the relationship between defendants and the Reyna attack is highly attenuated. As noted above, defendants' platforms are global in scale and allow hundreds of millions or billions of people to upload vast quantities of information on a daily basis. Yet there are no allegations that defendants treated ISIS any differently from anyone else. Rather, defendants' relationship with ISIS and its supporters appears to have been the same as their relationship with their billion-plus other users, arm's length, passive, and largely indifferent. And their relationship with the Reyna attack is even further removed, given the lack of allegations connecting the Reyna attack with ISIS's use of these platforms. Second, because of the distance between defendants' acts or failures to act and the Reyna attack, plaintiffs would need some other very good reason to think that defendants were consciously trying to help or otherwise participate in the Reyna attack. But they have offered no such reason, let alone a good one. Again, plaintiffs point to no act of encouraging, soliciting, or advising the commission of the Reyna attack that would normally support an aiding and abetting claim. Rather, they essentially portray defendants as bystanders, watching passively as ISIS carried out its nefarious schemes. 
Such allegations do not state a claim for culpable assistance or participation in the Reina attack. Because plaintiff's complaint rests so heavily on defendant's failure to act, their claims might have more purchase if they could identify some independent duty in tort that would have required defendants to remove ISIS's content. But plaintiffs identify no duty that would require defendants or other communication-providing services to terminate customers after discovering that the customers were using the service for illicit ends. To be sure, there may be situations where some such duty exists, and we need not resolve the issue today. Even if there were such a duty here, it would not transform defendants' distant inaction into knowing and substantial assistance that could establish aiding and abetting the Reina attack. If there were any doubt, the expansive scope of plaintiffs' claims would be put to rest. Given the lack of any concrete nexus between defendant services and the Reina attack, plaintiffs' claims would necessarily hold defendants liable as having aided and abetted each and every ISIS terrorist act committed anywhere in the world. Under plaintiffs' theory, any U.S. national victimized by an ISIS attack could bring the same claim based on the same services allegedly provided to ISIS. Plaintiffs thus must allege that defendants so systemically and pervasively assisted ISIS that defendants could be said to aid and abet every single ISIS attack. Viewed in that light, the allegations here certainly fall short. Plaintiffs do not claim that defendants intentionally associated themselves with ISIS's operations or affirmatively gave aid that would assist each of ISIS's terrorist acts. Nor have they alleged that defendants and ISIS formed a near-common enterprise of the kind that could establish such broad liability. These allegations are thus a far cry from the type of pervasive, systemic, and culpable assistance to a series of terrorist activities that could be described as aiding and abetting each terrorist act. To be sure, we cannot rule out the possibility that some set of allegations involving aid to a known terrorist group would justify holding a secondary defendant liable for all of the group's actions, or perhaps some definable subset of terrorist acts. There may be, for example, situations where the provider of routine services does so in an unusual way or provides such dangerous wares that selling those goods to a terrorist group could constitute aiding and abetting a foreseeable terror attack. Or if a platform consciously and selectively chose to promote content provided by a particular terrorist group, perhaps it could be said to have culpably assisted the terrorist group. In those cases, the defendants would arguably have offered aid that is more direct, active, and substantial than what we review here. In such cases, plaintiffs might be able to establish liability with a lesser showing of scienter, but we need not consider every iteration on this theme. In this case, it is enough that there is no allegation that the platforms here do more than transmit information by billions of people, most of whom use the platforms 
for interactions that once took place via mail, on the phone, or in public areas. The fact that some bad actors took advantage of these platforms is insufficient to state a claim that defendants knowingly gave substantial assistance and thereby aided and abetted those wrongdoers' acts. And that is particularly true because a contrary holding would effectively hold any sort of communication provider liable for any sort of wrongdoing merely for knowing that the wrongdoers were using its services and failing to stop them. That conclusion would run roughshod over the typical limits on tort liability and take aiding and abetting far beyond its essential culpability moorings. Section B. In holding that plaintiffs had stated a claim, the Ninth Circuit went astray through a series of missteps that together obscured the essence of aiding and abetting liability. To correct those errors, we proceed through the Ninth Circuit's application of Halberstam's framework. The Ninth Circuit framed the issue of substantial assistance as turning on defendants' assistance to ISIS activities in general. But as we explained above, the question is whether defendants gave substantial assistance to ISIS with respect to the Reina attack. The focus thus must remain on the Reina attack. Plaintiffs' failure to allege any definable nexus between the defendants' assistance and that attack therefore, at minimum, drastically increases their burden to show that defendants somehow consciously and culpably assisted the attack. Next, the Ninth Circuit misapplied the knowing half of knowing and substantial assistance. It first separated the knowing and substantial sub-elements. It then analyzed the knowing sub-element as a carbon copy of the antecedent element of whether the defendants were generally aware of their role in ISIS's overall scheme. But as discussed above, the knowledge and substantial assistance components should be considered relative to one another as part of a single inquiry designed to capture conscious and culpable conduct. The knowing part of that inquiry is therefore designed to capture the defendant's state of mind with respect to their actions and the tortious conduct, not the same general awareness that defines Halberstam's second element. Finally, when applying Halberstam's six substantiality factors, the Ninth Circuit appears to have regarded the factors as a sequence of disparate, unrelated considerations without a common conceptual core. That is incorrect. The point of those factors is to help courts capture the essence of aiding and abetting, participation in another's wrongdoing that is both significant and culpable enough to justify attributing the principal wrongdoing to the aider and abetter. The Ninth Circuit thus erred in focusing, as it did, primarily on the value of defendants' platforms to ISIS rather than whether defendants culpably associated themselves with ISIS's actions. For example, when applying the second factor, the amount and kind of assistance, the Ninth Circuit should have considered that defendants' platforms and content sorting algorithms 
were generally available to the internet-using public. That focus reveals that ISIS's ability to benefit from these platforms was merely incidental to defendants' services and general business models. It was not attributable to any culpable conduct of defendants directed toward ISIS. And when considering the fourth and fifth factors, the defendant's relationship to ISIS and the defendant's state of mind, the Ninth Circuit should have given much greater weight to defendants' arm-length relationship with ISIS, which was essentially no different from their relationship with their millions or billions of other users and their undisputed lack of intent to support ISIS. Taken as a whole, the Ninth Circuit's analytic approach thus elided the fundamental question of aiding and abetting liability. Did defendants consciously, voluntarily, and culpably participate in or support the relevant wrongdoing? As we have explained above, the answer in this case is no. Plaintiffs allege only that defendants supplied generally available virtual platforms that ISIS made use of, and that defendants failed to stop ISIS despite knowing it was using those platforms. Given the lack of nexus between that assistance and the Reina attack, the lack of any defendant intending to assist ISIS, and the lack of any sort of affirmative and culpable misconduct that would aid ISIS, Plaintiffs' claims fall short of plausibly alleging that defendants aided and abetted the Reina attack. Section C. That leaves the set of allegations specific to Google. As explained above, plaintiffs allege that Google reviewed and approved ISIS videos on YouTube as part of its revenue-sharing system, and thereby shared advertising revenue with ISIS. The Ninth Circuit briefly mentioned those allegations when analyzing plaintiff's complaint here. However, in addressing another, materially identical, complaint, the Ninth Circuit held that the same allegations failed to state a claim for aiding and abetting liability because they were devoid of any allegations about how much assistance Google provided and therefore did not plausibly allege that Google's assistance was substantial. We think that the Ninth Circuit was correct in that holding. The complaint here alleges nothing about the amount of money that Google supposedly shared with ISIS, the number of accounts approved for revenue sharing, or the content of the videos that were approved. It thus could be the case that Google approved only one ISIS-related video and shared only $50 with someone affiliated with ISIS. The complaint simply does not say, nor does it give any other reason, to view Google's revenue sharing as substantial assistance. Without more, plaintiffs thus have not plausibly alleged that Google knowingly provided substantial assistance to the Reina attack let alone, as their theory of liability requires, every single terrorist act committed by ISIS. Part 5 By their very nature, the concepts of aiding and abetting and substantial assistance do not lend themselves to crisp, bright-line distinctions. However, both the common law and Halberstam provide some clear guideposts 
The point of aiding and abetting is to impose liability on those who consciously and culpably participated in the tort at issue. The focus must remain on assistance to the tort for which plaintiffs seek to impose liability. When there is a direct nexus between the defendant's acts and the tort, courts may more easily infer such culpable assistance. But the more attenuated the nexus, the more courts should demand that plaintiffs show culpable participation through intentional aid that substantially furthered the tort. And if a plaintiff's theory would hold a defendant liable for all the torts of an enterprise, then a showing of pervasive and systemic aid is required to ensure that defendants actually aided and abetted each tort of that enterprise. Here, however, the nexus between defendants and the Reina attack is far removed. As alleged by plaintiffs, defendants designed virtual programs and knowingly failed to do enough to remove ISIS-affiliated users and ISIS-related content out of hundreds of millions of users worldwide and an immense ocean of content from their platforms. Yet, plaintiffs have failed to allege that defendants intentionally provided any substantial aid to the Reina attack, or otherwise consciously participated in the Reina attack, much less that defendants so pervasively and systemically assisted ISIS as to render them liable for every ISIS attack. Plaintiffs, accordingly, have failed to state a claim under Section 2333-D2. We therefore reverse the judgment of the Ninth Circuit. It is so ordered. We've come to the end of the opinion. Until next episode, thanks for listening to What SCOTUS Wrote Us.